Welcome to another episode of Porch Talk. This is your host, Alan, and we are in Startville, Mississippi. And I've got uh, Jimmy Red with me here today. And uh, to unload a little bit about Jimmy, uh, out the gate, he's a musician. He plays piano and guitar. He also uh, teaches literature at State. Mm-hmm. And he also uh, enjoys going out on, how would you put it, I guess, uh, just wildlife escapes or... Mm-hmm. I do backpacking. I go out into the wilderness areas, such as the Sipsi Wilderness in Alabama, the Chihaw Wilderness in Alabama, recently Yellowstone, and um, <clears throat> the Grand Tetons National Park, as well as uh, Rocky Mountain National Park, and about 1,300 miles in Colorado over the summer as well. Yeah, and so I saw some of the pictures mm-hmm. from that, dude, and I was just kind of blown away. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll get it, or make our way there. And so, Jimmy, just to give everybody a little intro, um, growing up, where you're from, mm-hmm. uh, Boonville, mm-hmm. what was that like? Boonville was a repressive, uh, conservative town. Um, I felt completely out of place. Uh, I like to read. I'm a nerd, if you will. Um, <clears throat> I didn't like to be out in the woods at that time. I didn't like the outside. Uh, I didn't like hunting and fishing like all the folks around here do. I like to read and watch movies and uh, talk about thoughts. And it wasn't really uh, what people wanted to talk about then. Mm-hmm. And so I wasn't very happy. I didn't have many people to talk to. I eventually did run into some folks. Uh, <clears throat> whenever I started playing the guitar, I started out on the piano. But I eventually did run into some folks in high school who had musical interests like me. Mm-hmm. And we started playing in punk rock bands and stuff like that. Heavy metal. Around the age of 16, right? That's right, of course. <laughs> Had to be. Mm-hmm. And so when did you pick up the piano? I picked up the piano in fifth grade. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> I started taking piano lessons. Uh, and, well, the idea is my father's a preacher, and they never did have a piano player, so they needed to train somebody, and who better than me? Yeah, right. Uh, so I learned how to play. Uh, and I started playing hymns and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. that's where I got my training was in hymns. That was, was the first music I listened to was uh, Southern hymns. Not necessarily Southern gospel like the Gaithers and stuff. I listened to that. Uh, but it was more like uh, Fannie Lou Hamer and all of those old old rugged songs, Amazing Grace and uh, How the Fire Fell. And it is the, well. When the role, it is well with my soul when the role is called up yonder, all that kind of stuff. That's what I started out playing, kind of like Jerry Lee Lewis. Uh, <clears throat> that was where I started. And so as you were coming up through high school, mm-hmm. uh, uh, love for books and reading, where mm-hmm. did that come from, you think? Uh, my first books that I read was the Bible. Like I said, my father's a preacher, so as soon as I, maybe I was five or six years old, they started teaching me how to read the Bible. I remember my earliest reading memory was my grandmother sitting with me late at night, and I would ask her to read the Ten Plagues to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, looking back, that's kind of graphic. You know, there's people dying, there's babies dying, and yeah. uh, cattle dying, and uh, yeah. uh, it was pretty awful, but for whatever reason, I was fascinated by Bloody that Bloody water, story. frogs, yeah. locusts. All kinds of stuff. <laughs> you got a lot going on. You know? Little Egypt uh, there. For a little kid's mind, for whatever reason, it fascinated me. And so I read the Bible many times when I was growing up, and from there I probably went to all these dollar classic books like War of the Worlds and uh, <clears throat> Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and Sleepy Hollow and... You know, stuff like that, kind of popular classic literature. Right. And so as you were coming up out of high school um, and trying to break out of Boonville, I guess, because it just wasn't for you, mm-hmm. where'd you go from there? Well, I stuck around for a little too long, probably. I went to Northeast for a couple of years and <clears throat> hung out with more friends from Boonville, but finally I escaped that place when I was about drinking age at 21 years old. Uh, and I landed up here in Starkville, and I got my bachelor's degree in philosophy here. Okay. I met some cats uh, and started a band called Big Blue Truck, a rock and roll band, kind of like the drive-by truckers in that kind of vein. There were three really good songwriters uh, in that band, four great musicians. 
um, <clears throat> and, and three good vocalists. And so between the three of us, we had well, we already had a really good set of songs mm-hmm. uh, that we would play around here locally. And even now, you know, people still remember us. Uh, <clears throat> we've spread out all over the country. Uh, one of us is in Nashville, Tennessee. One's in Austin, and one's in Seattle. And here I am. <laughs> It's kind of crazy. They all wound up in music towns. That's right. They did. Mm-hmm. Great. And so are they still playing today? Uh, not all of them, no. Uh, one of them isn't, but uh, the other uh, three, if you include myself, uh, we, we do. I mean, uh, Justin uh, Lambert uh, was how I call him. He is a great songwriter, one of the best I've ever heard. He's got a way of telling a story. He's a southern singer-songwriter, storyteller. Mm-hmm. And uh, I tell you, I mean, he's just got a way to to really uh, connect with people from around these parts. Um, <clears throat> uh, Blake is the other uh, player from Austin. He doesn't play as much anymore, uh, but he had that kind of Bob Dylan way to uh, <clears throat> really criticize somebody who had hurt you as well. And those kinds of songs uh, kind of stuck with me. And Brock is in Seattle. He's a fantastic musician, one of the best I've ever known. He would play drums for that place. And so he was kind of like the way to push us away from that old-timey alt-rock kind of country stuff toward more some more progressive stuff. And so sure. it, was, it accounted for a unique sound. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> comparing it to drive-by truckers, I mean, mm-hmm. that's cool. Right. In the same way with Drive-By Truckers, I mean, there's a lot of great songwriters in this band. I mean, we're no Jason Isbell or Mike Cooley or anything like that, uh, but uh, we are uh, all unique individuals and we have our own voice. Absolutely. And so while studying philosophy at Mm -hmm. State, what led you to philosophy? My father's a preacher, and so uh, growing up, I would always have to think about these hard problems. I would have to think about... Was he fair? Good. Was he fair to those questions? Uh, my father is a good man. Um, we have disagreements about, you know, what is ultimately right and what's wrong. Um, <clears throat> he would present the one perspective that there is. It was a literal interpretation of the Bible. Of course, when you think about it, there are millions of different literal interpretations that differ with one another. Absolutely. Uh, but. <clears throat> It was a literalist and conservative interpretation of the Bible that he would present. It was not without compassion, though, and so I can't fault him for that. Um, But it it wasn't uh, ultimately what I wanted to go with myself when I grew up later. Sure.
lullabies Look in my eyes Run around the same old time Doesn't mean that much to me It mean that much to you I'm in first and last Look at how the time goes fast Now I'm all alone at last I'm a lot like you were Oh man, look at my life I'm a lot like you were Oh man, look at my life I'm a lot like you were Yes sir mm -hmm. Jimmy, thank you no problem, bro. So philosophy and like dealing into, oh gosh, um, or it'd be like Plato and mm -hmm. uh, going back to those old trains of thoughts mm -hmm. and going through. And so as you were finishing that degree, what was the plan? Uh, well, it was always to teach. I okay. mean, that's all you can do with a philosophy degree. So yeah. um, <clears throat> I went through philosophy and, and it really, I started out in accounting and of course that wasn't going to work. Uh, <clears throat> I went into philosophy and uh, cats like Nietzsche or Nietzsche I should say uh, <clears throat> kind of these continental philosophers and stuff really grabbed my attention uh, <clears throat> some of the new age uh, 19th century philosophers and stuff that really caught my attention um, but I mean quickly I learned when I tried to go into grad school that I wasn't going to be able to get very far in philosophy and I realized it was much more of a call for English, and so mm. I like to read. It didn't matter what I was reading so much, and that's where I took that off. Okay. And so I got the master's in English. I got a master's and a Ph.D. in English. And so and how, did, uh, how did teaching in the state, how did that come to be? It was just through being in the department and um, getting to know everybody? and. Yeah, it's not a really interesting story there too much. Uh, my friend in Big Boy Truck, uh, he was in English, and so he was like, why don't you do that? You like to read, and so I got into it. There you go. At, what was interesting was uh, that first summer, whenever I started doing English, uh, I read 100 Years of Solitude and On the Road and The Brothers Karamazov by Fyodor Dostoevsky, as well as Pensions V and a lot of uh, really works that have stuck, stuck with me through the years. And so that was when I realized that I had a real passion yeah. uh, for talking about characters and uh, their life experiences and empathizing with them. I think that's one thing I can do better than most people is to imagine people in far-off places and uh, be able to try to sympathize with the way they think. Sure. And so to round this back out, and we'll, we'll start bouncing back into uh, music, uh, when did the love for nature and the wilderness come back and like to start backpacking and <clears throat> do that? That's a good question. Um, <clears throat> when I was young, I said that I really wasn't into hunting and fishing and stuff like all my peers were, but I always did like to go out in the woods behind my parents' house and like be alone and explore new places and stuff. I'm not quite sure why I like to do that other than to, you know, experience new things. That's a huge part of my personality. I don't like to get stuck in the same place, always talking to the same people about the same things. I like to explore new things. Sure. <clears throat> about three years ago, um, I got into nature because uh, my friend David Sullivan, he's about 74 years old, uh, he was talking about backpacking. And I was like, you're 74 years old, man. Uh, what are you talking about? You're walking 
five miles out into the wilderness in the middle of nowhere with a 40-pound pack on your back, and you're setting up a tent for three days and just staying by yourself. Yeah. I had about, to see what that was about. Yeah. What about your heart, man? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> and he had had heart surgery uh, a few years prior to that, you know, uh, but he made it, and he does it. He yeah. still does it. He's been to the Sipsi Wilderness 80 times, um, which is just two and a half hours from here. You probably know where it is. Absolutely. And so <clears throat> the first time I went with him, and I just really was able to disconnect because there's no cell phone service out there, you know, I just knew that was for me. This, mm-hmm. this idea of going with only the things that are on your back, no distractions besides the world around you. Uh, being able to really think about the things that are bothering you and process them without somebody else jumping on top yeah. of you and asking something else. And with no cell phone service, yeah. there's zero lack of like uh, getting on the social media and being mm-hmm. just next thing you know, well, mm-hmm. I started, it was four, and now it's seven o'clock, and I just right. burnt three hours. Oh, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I do that all the time, and, uh, you know, there's things to be said for being able to talk to old friends who I wouldn't be able to talk with. Otherwise, there's things to be said for getting your music and your ideas out there in ways that nobody else would hear. At the same time, the whole idea of politics and social media uh, and uh, people trying to learn from headlines uh, solely and this whole idea of trolling and stuff, I think it dehumanizes us. It does. And we um, become keyboard warriors. Mm-hmm. Without a cause, because, I mean, you're just looking at the headline. Right. And it's most of the time, if you actually read the article, the headline was just something that it was clickbait anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, you know, of course, I'm a reader, and I'm a person who's very careful to form opinions about things, I hope. Um. I like to know everything there is about an issue before I pose my opinion and stuff. So this this whole, you find on my Facebook page, you'll find nothing really about politics. Anybody who talks about politics a lot, I probably don't follow them. Yeah, that's the same, man. I, like mostly, it's for me, it's music mm-hmm. or sharing whatever I have going mm-hmm. on with the show because right. I want people to know that. I'm, mm-hmm. Politics, leave it alone. Because mm-hmm. it doesn't do any good. It's an echo yeah. chamber. Mm-hmm. If People that agree with what I'm saying, they're going to like it and comment on it. And right. I may get a troll, mm-hmm. but then everybody's going to come at that guy. And it's just, what are we, what are we doing? Yeah, right. We're, We're not accomplishing anything. It, it spawns a lot of negative feelings. Yeah. Um, and alienates a lot of people. But, uh, I mean, that's maybe... I think that there's a lot great to be said about today's society, but... Um, <clears throat> That's maybe one of the problems that we face that we need to overcome is that this sense of us not looking at each other in the eye and actually dealing with problems as if we're looking at a human, we're dealing with an idea or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, <clears throat> of course, I have very strong political opinions, uh, but I don't think that it's, it, that's a venue yeah, for it. Yeah. yeah, I'm saying, man. And like, uh, I, I like hearing... Uh, and you'll see it every now and then with, and we'll jump off this we're chasing mm-hmm. a rabbit but That's uh, uh, racism just mm-hmm. running rampant and we, we're, we're in Mississippi and mm-hmm. in Starkville we have the cotton district mm-hmm. and yeah. college students literally live in mm-hmm. old slave homes Yeah, and so there is this uh, I mean you have the blues mm-hmm. and where the blues come from here in the Delta area mm-hmm. with Mississippi and uh, so there's a lot of background with uh, historical racism but mm-hmm. like when you just walk outside right out here in the parking lot mm-hmm. we have something beautiful going on mm-hmm. um, white and black playing basketball together yeah so uh it's it's not that no it's, it's not as hardcore as you would mm-hmm. imagine things are not <laughs> as bad as they were in the 1960s no matter how you would portray mississippi uh, in my hometown of Boonville, Mississippi, there was recently a national news story that made Washington Post and New York Times. It was a lady who denied an interracial couple uh, marriage. Uh, she was running a you know wedding uh, programming uh, place, mm-hmm. a wedding event place, and uh, she said that's against our Christian race or our Christian beliefs. Is what she said. Uh, she said both of those. Has things. She ever read the Bible? Because well, th- Noah and his wife, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> Noah's wife was black. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's the interesting part, twist of the plot story, you know, uh, that, <clears throat> of course, she got trolled and everybody hated on her because that's what happens nowadays. And in some cases, it seems like that's deserved. In that case right there, it had a positive effect on her. Uh, she actually went to her minister and uh, she asked him, you know, if he could show her where it was in the Bible. So she, and he said, it's not in the Bible. Yeah. They walked through it together and he, and she was like, and then she came back out and said, I was wrong. I was ignorant. Please forgive me. Mm-hmm. In the 1960s, that would not have happened, you yeah. know, in any way, yeah. you know, um, even the social media storm about it, you know. So, but at the same time, it, it's hard to forgive her. You know, she should have gotten with the program a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, but it's in my heart to forgive people. Uh, but, of course, I wasn't really affected by that, so I yeah. can't really speak to it. And so back to backpacking. And so yeah. just getting out there, unplugging, <clears throat> and getting away from everything mm-hmm. and being on a process, take a book, mm-hmm. or just you leave everything behind? Oh, yeah. Well, you can only take the things on your back. Uh, when you go backpack, yeah. Um, so you, you try to keep it under it's thirty pounds, yeah. you know. Uh, but I have to carry a book, and that's something that's you may be my luxury item. Everybody carries so a book <laughs> is one or two pounds, you know. Uh, that's kind of heavy. I could just read on my phone right here, but that kind of defeats the purpose, right? Does, yeah. I have books and stuff on my phone, so I'll carry a book and uh, I'll read that. Um, and man, I've gotten some good un- uninterrupted reading done mm-hmm. out there. I'm lucky that that's what I do for my job. I spent most of the day reading and talking about books. Um, <clears throat> so I think I'm lucky in that facet. And so just from Sipsy, um, and after getting your, your taste for that, mm-hmm. it turned into uh, reaching out further and going further and further mm-hmm. Colorado. Mm-hmm. So was it just by doing research and finding those places, or did your your buddy put you on them, or how did that work? Now that's right. Uh, I mean, I am a person who wants to know everything about everything. Uh, so I spend a lot of time researching stuff before I actually go and do it. I watch a lot of backpacking videos. I see how people do it. I read. I, I look over topographical maps. Uh, I read about various trails that people take, uh, reviews and things such as that. I learn as much as I can about an area. I want to know about the wildlife, the flora, the fauna. I want to know about the topography. I want to mm-hmm. know about the type of hiking I'll do, the different best places to go. So uh, I'm pretty exhaustive when it comes to researching. Yeah. I'm so, um, I've always done poor uh, with that, mm-hmm. so... I've had the privilege of going out of the country quite a bit, mm-hmm. and I remember my first time going to Guatemala, yeah. and literally did no no research, mm-hmm. and um, parents, grandparents freaking out, they're like, "Oh, it's dangerous there," and I was like, "According to who?" Yeah. I said, "You know, it's it's not mm-hmm. like this. I mean, we could literally go down the street and there's danger," mm-hmm. and I was like, "There, you're just hearing of danger." Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't see the issue. Yes, there's gangs, there's gangs mm-hmm. everywhere. But we get out there, and you have uh, topographical. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't take into account for uh, it's kind of mountainous, and we spend a lot mm-hmm. of times high up, and yeah. so the oxygen exchange is different. Yeah, didn't prep for that. Mm-mm. How could you though? <laughs> and, and just different mm-hmm. things I didn't take into account. They had tarantulas down there. I don't like spiders. <laughs> <laughs> I only come across one, and it was like the second time I went, and I yeah. had a panic attack. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just getting to know the people and, like... Uh, it's good eating, apparently. <laughs> Maybe. I'm not going to try it. But uh, the, the culture, uh, I'm a cultural guy. Mm-hmm. That's what I studied at uh, University of Mobile, was intercultural mm-hmm. studies. And uh, and so that that was a big thing for me, is getting down there doing counterculture, because one thing about Guatemala is... Um, they have uh, their value system is different than Americans. Uh, mm-hmm. Time's not important; it's more of a relation. Mm-hmm. It, it's uh, take a church service. Mm-hmm. If it's set to take on at nine, mm-hmm. well, Jimmy doesn't get here till ten thirty, so we'll start at ten thirty. Mm-hmm. Well, everybody may show up at nine, but we're gonna wait till Jimmy gets there because mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Yeah. And same with <clears throat> standing in line; like we're extremely impatient and mm-hmm. we we'll try to be punctual. Standing in line is not a big deal. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. 
it'll happen when it happens. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, it doesn't work here because everything is. Mm-hmm. We gotta go. We gotta go. Class starts mm-hmm. at nine. It's over at nine forty-five, and then we gotta mm-hmm. roll the next class mm-hmm. in at ten, or you know, however, whatever job you're into. You know, right. it's, everything has got to go. Mm-hmm. I want my food now. Microwave generation, mm-hmm. and just some of the other things. Um, with uh, and you might could speak on this is uh, the Jesus the Jesus. Jesus, ah. <laughs> Jesus says, Jesus says, uh, yeah. Catholicism, uh, Jesuits, mis- Jesuits. There we go. The uh-huh. Jesuits, their missionary work when they came to Central mm-hmm. America, mm-hmm. they encountered uh, Aztec religion, mm-hmm. and so instead of bringing in uh, Christianity for what it was, mm-hmm. they used the Aztec gods mm-hmm. and uh, put Mary, Jesus, God mm-hmm. the Father. And mm-hmm. plugged them into these different Aztec gods, yeah. and then you had uh, this syncretism mm-hmm. of religion, which is it's so damaging to the culture, and the culture still lives with it today. Mm-hmm. And then these small villages uh, still not speaking Spanish; they're still mm-hmm. on Ketchikal. You know, it's like a half mm-hmm. Spanish, half Aztec, and so I, I halfway can speak Spanish, mm-hmm. okay. But you get down there, and you get to speak in Spanish, and they'd be like, <laughs> "Don't know what you're saying." Yeah, and so it's interesting, like trying to get down mm-hmm. there and like figure out what everything is, because you're just trying to relate. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, just going with different places out in America, man, I'd love to get out there and backpack with like wildlife and top- topography and mm-hmm. flora, fauna. Those are things I would uh, consider. But it was like just a totally different beast mm-hmm. when you get out of the country. Yeah, see, I would have to know the language or else I wouldn't have any fun. I'd want to be able to talk with the people yeah. and converse with them, yeah. you know. Um, uh, I've never been out of the country, so that, that's something that uh, I can't really speak on. But I have read and I understand lots of, about old cultures especially yeah. uh, very deeply. Let's move on to music. Okay. So... We're uh, teaching at State, and I guess, where's a good place for this to start with the piano bars? Uh, and moving into that. <clears throat> so, uh, I've been doing piano bars. <clears throat> Let me tell you about where I, when I started out doing that. Okay. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> about 10 years or so, about 13 years ago, uh, <clears throat> I had been playing with Big Boy Truck at Dave's Dark Horse Tavern and places like that, and Dave knew I could play piano, and uh, he started getting me to play piano bar. And I didn't know what piano bar was, but he was having it every Friday during dinner, you know. And so I'd just go up there and I'd play the songs I know. Uh, and he got me to do that every Friday. And, and so, you know, every Friday I would have to play two hours worth of music, and that was a lot of music then, you know. Mm-hmm. That's like, 30 songs that's about all I had so every week I would have to learn I would set myself to learn two or three new songs every week I'd sit there before piano bar and I'd practice all Friday afternoon learning these new songs and then I'd go out and play them Uh, I did this for about five years I moved from Dave's over to the Ben 612 uh, and from the Ben 612 to restaurant Tyler And, and Fridays it would be me and every week I was adding two or three songs. Mm-hmm. Before you know it, I got 500 songs on my, under my belt right here. It's, and I think it was Dustin Gibson that was mm-hmm. telling me this, that uh, mm-hmm. you had, I guess that might have been the crazy year. Mm-hmm. Like It was like every day you were learning a brand new song. Yeah. Is that is that, that year? I still do that today. I mean, uh, <clears throat> most of the time it's higher work. Like people will get me to play the, their wedding or something mm-hmm. like that, and they'll say, we want you to learn these songs. you got to play them. Um, now my time's a little more restrictive. I I can't learn as many songs, but I spent January through March of last year learning how to play jazz. Somebody was like, uh, well, we need somebody to play three jazz weddings for us. And I was like, well, you know, that's hard. That stuff's hard. And they were like, well, you can make 1500 bucks. I said, I got it. No problem. (laughs) I can do that. Yeah. I said, I can do it. You know, uh, I couldn't. But uh, <clears throat> by the end of January, I was passable. Uh, February, March, I could do it, you know. And uh, now I've got 
a jazz band and we play. You saw my yeah, jazz band. Yeah, I saw you. I caught me a, and my sax player. Mm-hmm. I caught a little bit of that set at the festival mm-hmm. in West Point. Right. Uh, let me ask you this: making that transition into jazz on piano was that? How difficult was that? Coming, so, I guess, coming from mm-hmm. like a rock and roll standpoint to jazz, mm-hmm. which is more free form. Yeah. Uh, but also, I think there would be a lot more structure. Yeah. The toughness uh, with jazz comes into play in learning all of the inversions of chords. Uh, so in rock and roll, you've got major chords. All right. That's a G. That's a G and a C and a D mm-hmm. and an E. And that's pretty much all you got is the major chords. With blues, for instance, you got... sounds kind of you know like a lot going on that's just a major chord but with jazz you got to do all kinds of inversions like major sevenths which you would go from to chord inversions and stuff and you got to understand the theory behind them in order to be able to do it <clears throat> and then there's chords like ninths Jazz is always trying to avoid resolution. It's always trying to keep the yeah. music going. Uh, <clears throat> and so you have to learn flatted fifths and sharp fifths and thirteenths and nineteenths and all these different chord inversions, yeah. uh, diminished and half-diminished chords. So it was a lot to kind of process. It was a, I don't know if it would be considered a joke or not, mm-hmm. but like... Um, when me and a buddy, we were starting mm-hmm. to work our way into jazz on the guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, it was more of like a Mike and Zinger from Incubus mm-hmm. that really inspired it and influenced mm-hmm. it because Incubus, uh, over their transition of the years, mm-hmm. I would say especially probably uh, Morning View um, onto the next mm-hmm. album, there was a lot more jazz influence on the chords. Mm-hmm. Right. And we were we would hear like nineteenths and be like, okay, well there's eight steps, so he's mm-hmm. taking eight right. sixteenths, the third. Yeah. Okay, that's a three. But mm-hmm. when he says 19... It's a third, an it's octave a th- up. Yeah. yeah, and I was like, <clears throat> golly, why, do, why can't it just be a three? But it's like... <laughs> and so like when you were when you were getting your mind ready for jazz, where were you going? Was this YouTube, and who were you looking up, or were you reading? <clears throat> what was you doing? So, let me grab this book. I kind of understand. kind of understood what jazz musicians did. I knew they worked from the real book. Uh, <clears throat> but the real book is a, a beast in itself. It's got a language all its own. And here I have, uh, I'm showing you, uh, for your listeners, Alan, I'm showing you the sixth edition <laughs> of the real book here. And uh, we'll they a, probably we'll can't... A, we'll take a picture of it so they can see it. They can't see it, but I've got these blue stickers sticking out of it. There's about 40 of them sticking out of it, and there's all kinds of sheet music taped into it. Clearly, I've used this a lot. Uh, but when you open it up, I can read music and... I can too. ...and play by ear. Um, <clears throat> so that's one of the reasons why I've been able to get a lot more work than other musicians over the years. Being able to read. Being able to read and play by ear. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, but I would look at these chords right here, and I didn't quite know what all this meant. Mm-hmm. Like D flat over A flat. I mm-hmm. didn't know what that meant. I know what it means now. Uh, I know it means in your upper hand you're playing a D flat, and on your lower hand you're playing an A flat. Right. Uh, <clears throat> but I didn't know all of that, so I had to learn that. I had to learn like what that meant. There's various little notations that you won't see anywhere else except for in the real book. 
<clears throat> and so just for instance, what is that notation telling you? It's telling me to play that chord like staccato, that same chord right there. Okay. Is that loud enough? How does that sound over there? That's good. How about that? I turned it up a little bit.
for you right there I couldn't go a day without it I'll be honest with you I ain't cried that much since Titanic mm 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 well now we're gonna get on back to the show we're talking about influence and getting back to that place on piano to where this could happen so here we go and I just had to get back to my roots and remember all the things that I had learned whenever I was taking piano lessons, whenever I was skipping over it because I could play the instrument as well as the teacher, you know. Uh, but there were some things I needed to learn, uh-huh. like what a triplet was and stuff like that and what a major seventh was and all of that different stuff. Did uh, you get finger tied a lot? What does that mean? Like uh, just on the piano when you when you were learning these chords, mm-hmm. did, you, did you get like... I've oh, never yeah. made the shape before. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's frustrating. Because, uh, I mean, it's not like I just started playing the piano. I've been playing. Yeah, fifth grade, right? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I've been playing about 25 years. And it forced me to play completely differently and changed up my style. Uh, <clears throat> there, there's lots of keys that were more difficult for me moving to jazz. Uh, so it wasn't easy. Uh, I spent about eight hours a day for a whole month just going over these songs over and over and over and over and over and over again. I'd never heard any of these songs, uh, or a lot of them, mm-hmm. and so I had to listen to them over and over again. Uh, <clears throat> the easiest way for me to explain jazz to people who don't understand it is jazz has a melody. It's you got to know the melody. Uh, it, it comes in, it's got... Uh, on the head, you've got this lead lick. That's autumn leaves right there. Um, <clears throat> and what, you go through that once, and then there's solos by all the instruments. Mm-hmm. And you know the song's over when they come back to that lead lick again. And once you get that, you kind of understand the basics of jazz right there. Everything in the middle is riffing off of that structure and and that initial lead lick. So jazz is a conversation. It's a conversation between the musicians. Uh, They have a a common starting point and a common ending point. What happens in between is uh, the individual musician's soul expressing himself upon that structure. Uh, So that's one of the ways... Uh, that I think jazz is unique as an art form. Uh, <clears throat> and another thing about it is that it, some people say they can't, they can't get into it, and I, I say the reason why you can't get into it is because you got to know how to listen to it, and that's the key to listening to it is to understand yeah. the notes that set the rules for the game. Get, jazz is not whole freeform. Some of jazz is freeform, but... Uh, most jazz is not freeform. Most of it starts with that common riff and then everybody speaking about it in their own way. Mm-hmm. It's conversation. And so uh, I don't know if we can go here, mm-hmm. but just the a historicity of jazz and its mm-hmm. beginnings, it would be based out of New Orleans, correct? Yeah, I mean, uh, I can't really walk you through the history of jazz completely. Uh, <clears throat> I can say that America... You know, of course, is the the place where jazz was born. Mm -hmm. Uh, I could talk with you a little bit about uh, jazz in New Orleans, uh, and I could talk with you probably more than anything else about uh, jazz during the birth of the cool era. Uh, And, I mean, you can learn most of that stuff from a Wikipedia article, but the things that are interesting to me are cats like Chet Baker. And I think uh, cats like Baker are interesting because of the story that they have. And ultimately, that's what makes a musician outside of his music interesting, is the story that his life adds to it. 
uh, <clears throat> one of the reasons why I like Chet Baker so much, uh, his story is one of uh, facing tremendous adversity and still finding a way to play music. Mm-hmm. In particular, Baker, uh, <clears throat> he was a heroin addict, uh, and uh, he got all of his teeth knocked out by a heroin dealer. Uh, and a drug deal gone bad. The man sliced his mouth open. You, know, you think for a trumpeteer that his career is over. Mm-hmm. Uh, yet, after years off, Baker learned how to play the trumpet with just the dentures, with dentures, which mm-hmm. people thought was impossible. Uh, <clears throat> and he came back and he had a sound like nobody else. It was so personal and intimate. And that was the thing. It wasn't. I was thinking today about Miles Davis, uh, and Miles Davis and Baker were very similar. They were contemporaries. The thing that strikes me about Davis that I love so much is something the same thing I like about Baker. Miles Davis would come in with four notes a lot of times. Some of his songs, uh, like that song Autumn Leaves, uh, he comes in with the, he hits the same note four times in the song. So what? He hits, uh, it's a very simple crescendo that he does right there Mm -hmm. when he comes in. Just four notes. And it struck me, it's the same thing that Beethoven did. Ba-ba-ba-ba. It's just four notes. Very simple. Three of the same note and one that goes down uh, about a step and a half right there. Right. Um, And it's not virtuosity that drives me to somebody's music. It is this... How they can take something that is familiar to us, like four notes that are very close to one another, uh, <clears throat> that's familiar to us, but making it intimate, making their soul ring through those notes. Absolutely. And that's what I try to do. When I'm at a piano bar uh, and I do a solo, I'm not going to, sometimes I'll try to impress with how fast I can move, but more often than not, I'm going to play melodically. I'm going to play something that uh, speaks lets the piano sing for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Sure. And so other influences when you were picking up jazz, mm-hmm. uh, we had Chet and Miles. Mm-hmm. Uh, who were some of the other cats that really caught your attention as you were trying to get into mm-hmm. the genre? My favorite, uh, one of my favorite albums is Ella Fitzgerald and Louis Armstrong's um, album where they sang a bunch of duets together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and The Nearness of You uh, and things such as that. I always love Louis Armstrong's voice. I know that he's been criticized a lot for, you know, maybe he was trying to play toward the man in a way that uh, Miles Davis wasn't, but nobody can sing like him. Mm-hmm. You know? and, and at the same time, the way he plays the trumpet is very intimate. Um <clears throat> And then there's other cats, of course, like Dr. John and Alan Toussaint, all of these various New Orleans musicians like Professor Longhair and stuff uh, that uh, draw me uh, to their music as well. All right, and to back this thing up, so at 16 years old, um, Mm -hmm. you picked up the guitar. I'm guessing Mm -hmm. it was through a discovery of rock and roll, maybe a Nirvana Pearl Jam during that time period. It was a discovery of rock and roll and women. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so, who were those cats? Who were those influences as you were making your way out of playing hymnals and Mm. wanting to rock? Who were those cats? Yeah, Neil Young, uh, Tom Petty, Ozzy Osbournes, Randy Rhodes, and stuff like that. Uh, um, I like Deep Purple, a lot of classic rock influences. Um, Whenever I played the guitar, I learned. And then just watching the people around me playing. You know, I would learn, I would see what they were doing. You know, it was like, what is that? That's a power chord. Okay, I'm going to make a power chord. Yeah. I'm going to put that together and play with it. Uh, so the guitar was different for me than the piano. And the piano I learned how to play by note uh, and all these different things. With the guitar, I just kind of tried to piece together my own learning in the guitar. Yeah. So what, what about preference as an uh, instrument? You prefer piano? Nowadays, I prefer the piano. There for a while, I preferred the guitar. Uh, it seemed like girls liked the guitar better. Um, I'm a romantic, so. Uh, but, and then I thought the piano was lame, and then I realized that, uh, you know, I was. This instrument is much more connected to me than the guitar. Yeah. Uh, I've got more of a voice on it. I can do a lot more on it. Sure. I um, 
recently. It's it's probably been going on for a year now. I don't have a full 88 keys. I've got mm -hmm. a. I don't <clears throat> even have enough room for two hands. Mm -hmm. I got a little MIDI mm -hmm. uh, controller. The effects for the show are every now and then I'll <clears throat> try to pick something out, but it's really enough just for one hand. Mm -hmm. But it's the first real endeavor I've had mm -hmm. toward striking out to play piano. Uh, I guess uh, just seeking out advice. I guess the first thing would be to get you a bigger keyboard, dude. Quit joking around. But uh, other than that, like, what advice would you give as far as yeah. like just honing the piano? I mean, different people need different things, different strokes for different folks, as they say. Um, you know, some people can make it work with uh, you know one octave. Uh, it depends on what you want. My friend Twiggy, I mean, he has a Moog, and uh, he just uses one finger, but he does some crazy things with it, you know? Yeah. I don't know how to do that. <clears throat> I'm a pure piano player. I know how to play the instrument uh, mm -hmm. in order for me to sing with it, in order for me to duplicate songs and stuff like that. Uh, and acoustically, that's how I play. I don't understand a lot about MIDI controllers and stuff like that. I wish I could. I mean, I could, but I wish I would sit down and do it. It just, I can't feel it in the same way. Mm -hmm. I get, uh, I feel like I'm breathing a voice into an instrument when I'm banging on it. Uh, and I can't quite do that. It's one reason why maybe I can't play the organ as well, is because it's more about touch and uh, stuff like that. Okay, sure, I get you. Uh, but your original question was how you could, maybe if you wanted to play like I do, yeah. Um, I just say <clears throat> I would learn the same way that I learned on the guitar. I'd learn some chords and play from there and learn different inversions. Uh, <clears throat> with my left hand, I would just start out playing like an octave. Uh, and on the right hand, I would play different inversions. And I'd learn the scales and I'd improvise. Uh, I'd improvise over a song that I like. That's how I've always learned songs. I'll get the chord structure and I'll play the chord structure and I'll improvise over it. Cool. All right, and so let's move off into this local music scene for a minute. We've mm -hmm. mentioned Dave's Dark Horse mm -hmm. and uh, the guest room, mm -hmm. Tyler's restaurant. Yeah. And so uh, just kind of speak on just the, uh, the Starkville sound, man, and just uh, the area. This area has a rich history in music. Uh, the musicians in this town are very much a family and it's one reason why I like the music scene in this town so much uh, and one reason why I've been successful as well is uh, you know I bought into these folks as a family and I've tried to make myself part of that family but I haven't had to try very hard they're very welcoming and so I've been in other towns where people were very catty and fighting against each other to try to prove who was better than the other and that's sure. not my kind of scene mm -hmm. When you look at the bands and stuff here, you'll see that we're all playing in the same bands. Nobody gets butthurt about it, you know. It's like, uh, well, that dude wasn't available tonight, so I got, you know. So-and-so to fill in. So-and-so to fill in. And everybody was like, great, I love him. Yeah. He's great. Yeah. You know. Uh, <clears throat> and so it kind of works that way. When people ask me what band I play in, I say whatever band is calling, you know. Um, <clears throat> what is my band? My band is Too Proud to Big. I try to put together a really good act that people have fun to. That's what I aim for. At this point in my life, I'm not really trying to create a lot of music, but what I am trying to create is fun. Yeah. I'm trying to create a fun experience. If they're having fun, I'm having fun. Uh, what more could you ask for? You know, <laughs> if somebody is out there dancing, I'm going to go out and dance and I'm going to have a good time. One of the things I like about this band is it's a five-piece band, uh, and so whoever else is playing with me, they can carry the act. A lot of times, I'll just let them play, and I'll go out, and I'll dance with the, the married couple, or I will, you know, uh, <clears throat> dance with whoever is on the floor, the kids, you know, I'll take yeah. them by the hand. I got a little eight-year-old daughter. I love kids. Yeah. You know, so we have a good time. They're usually the first ones dancing. Adults don't like to dance nowadays for whatever reason. They I don't feel, get it. <laughs> they feel like they have to drink a 12-pack in order to be able to sit down and dance. But I'll dance if I'm completely sober. Yeah. So. I'm the same way. I'll get out there and strut. Mm -hmm. They oh. think it's a shame. You know? Yeah. 
It's, it took a long. It took a long time, man, to get there. Um, I don't know. I guess uh, it probably would have been maybe a year or two after uh, mm-hmm. I had I had gone through a divorce, and like mm-hmm. a year or two after that, it was like a, almost a self reinvention. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna do it. You know, mm-hmm. if if I feel the need to do it, do it. Yeah. And dancing was one of the things on the list. Yeah. Am I good? Probably not. <laughs> but hey, it's all right. I'll get better. You know? <clears throat> That's right. And it was kind of that way for me. I mean, I went through, of course, um, I'm no longer with my daughter's mother. And so I had to deal with that. And my way of dealing with that was just playing a lot more music. Mm-hmm. And... Um, being more social, making new friends and stuff like that, uh, dancing, and dancing has always been something that's brought out the life of me. Yeah, it's the physical activity, uh, getting my blood pumping, if nothing else. Yeah, that's. Uh, I, I think back with um, you know stories of David. If you want to go back to biblical <clears throat> times, just for a second, with like, uh, I mean, that dude would dance naked. Mm. <laughs> you know. <laughs> And so uh, I, I think it's it's one of the, the freest forms of self-expression that you could do mm-hmm. uh, with your body. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, same with music is uh, mm-hmm. the expression, expressing yourself through your instrument or through your mm-hmm. vocal. Um, it's, it's just a way of expression. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you don't, as you said, you don't need a 12-pack to be able to do mm-hmm. that. If, right. if it gets <clears throat> to that point, I mean, like open mics just for that is like, Right. And after a couple more shots, I'm going to get up there and sing. It's like, yeah. come on, man. Just go. Right. Just go do it. Of course, it comes naturally to me. I've been doing it for a long time. <clears throat> uh, but it's something, you know, I get asked to a lot of events and stuff, and there's not alcohol there, you know. So it's not something that I could lean on as a crutch if I wanted to. Um, <clears throat> and I don't think it's something that you should lean yeah. on as a crutch. Absolutely. And so just a little bit more about uh, Starville mm-hmm. and some of the scenes around here is uh, uh, if you were new to the area <clears throat> and you were coming in, let's just say uh, maybe maybe you're about to be a student at State or uh, maybe you're just moving to the town for work, um, what are some of the different scenes and kind of paint that imagery, maybe <clears throat> Dave's Dark Horse, because that was one of the first recommendations I got yeah. uh, when I started working up here. It's like, you've got to go to Dave's. Yeah. And uh, it was just, uh, it was earlier this week. I caught about 30, 45 minutes of an open mic. It was mm-hmm. a great experience. Didn't <clears throat> play, just went to go see the talent there. Right. And that was a good experience. And so what What about some of these other scenes? And just a little bit more on the music <clears throat> scene of the town. Well, of course, over the past 30 years since the invention of the DJ, music has died down uh, exponentially uh, insofar in as performing live acts and part of that's due to I mean I could pull up whatever I wanted to on YouTube right here I could watch Chet Baker or Miles Davis yeah Um, uh, in the comfort of my own home same reason why movie theaters are dying down Uh, but insofar as the music scene in Starfield there still is one a lot of towns don't still have one but Dave's is the place to go Uh, there's music there every night in Mm -hmm. some fashion um, and that's one of the reasons why I still go there. On Monday nights, if I was showing up in town, I'd go up there and play uh, at the tavern. Uh, and I'd play on Monday nights, and you would meet other people who were enterprising individuals, uh, trying to get their music out there, trying to find other people to play with. Uh, you might gain the respect of Keatsy, who's the, you know, the, uh, <clears throat> the leader of that thing right there, the host, if you will. Yeah. Uh, and then just talk to musicians get to know them introduce yourself whenever you see them playing or whatever tip them you know Uh, buy them a drink yeah talk to them like that Uh, I mean that's the way to do it you get do this little interview series right here you'll know something right there offer something to the music scene and and then you'll get noticed absolutely and so what about uh, just some of the I guess, like I was telling you today about the guest room and just trying to figure out where it is. It's down the right. alleyway. And so just to kind of give that feel. So the thing about the guest room, I have always loved the guest room, and I played for Ty for a long time. I play, I started playing for Ty at the Ben 612, like I said, about 10 years ago. 
<clears throat> and I'd play on Friday afternoons at 4 to 7 p.m. And that was great. In Starkville, Mississippi, Friday afternoons, you're going to get all kinds of people. And, you know, you'll get all kinds of different age groups as well. You'll meet a lot of cool people. And you'll, you'll, that's the perfect place for music is outside uh, <clears throat> about afternoon time. Yeah. I wish more places would do that uh, around here or elsewhere. Um, <clears throat> but uh, Ty's smart enough to do that. And then he had me playing at Restaurant Tower for a while, which was his you know, fancy place. And that's really what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to play toward classy restaurants and classy stuff. That's what I'm really made for. And so Ty and Brian and I, that's the other owner of uh, <clears throat> Tower and all those places, uh, Brian Kelly, uh, we've been talking for a long while about getting me to play down at the guest room. <clears throat> so a couple years ago, he bought a piano. He bought a piano and he shoved it down in the guest room. I thought it would never work. I just thought that place was too small for mm-hmm. a piano. It is tiny. Uh, but it's perfect. You know, they've got the piano. As soon as you walk into that, and what it is, if you haven't been there, it's a speakeasy-style restaurant. One reason why it's so hard to find is there's not a sign, you know, or anything like that. You just go down a back alleyway. You think you might get mugged or something like that, and you walk in. It's the classiest restaurant in this area. Yeah. You know, and so the irony of that is is beautiful as well as, you know, you bringing up all of this historical detail about speakeasies and stuff. But you walk in there, and on a Thursday night, you'll see me playing. And I'll be there, and I'll be playing your favorite songs. I don't play a lot of new stuff, uh, but every now and again I do. I usually play classic stuff. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so but, what's, what's some of the rundown on that? So, again, uh, getting back to what we were talking about earlier, you know, uh, <clears throat> 10 years ago I had 500 songs. Now I have 1,500 songs. I just keep adding songs. Uh, so that's one of the problems with like trying to tell people what I do in music is or anything is that I have such diverse interests. You have a huge repertoire. Right. I say, what do you want? I got it. Yeah. Like I'm your grocery store. I'm your jukebox is what I tell people. Yeah. I say, here's my list of songs and I'll give them a five page list that's double space. Uh, I mean, that's single spaced in two columns front and back. You know, and it's alphabetized, and they'll pick through that list, and it'll keep them occupied all night long. Yeah. And then the the tips keep flowing in my bucket in the yeah. meantime. <laughs> Absolutely. So, <clears throat> that's what I go for. I want to make people smile. Great. Well, hi, Jimmy. Thank you so much for just taking the time to sit down with me today, man. Mm-hmm. I'm well, glad to be here. Learn a little bit more about Jimmy Red and uh, <laughs> what's going on in Starbucks. <laughs> It's a fun town to be in, man. I'm glad to be back. It means a lot to me. Yeah, man. All right, so you're going to play us a tune? Yeah. Uh... Who's wrong? Get in, 
gadgets. Thank you, buddy. Yeah, man. One point for you. Yeah, man. Dig it. 